Father, we are awestruck today for your deep love, your love that loves us no matter what we do, no matter who we are, that your love flows over and over and over again. And for that love, all we can do is say thank you. So as your people gathered in this place today, we just say thank you. And for those who are not feeling that love today, may they sense the depth of your mercy and the depth of your grace and the depth of your love. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're so grateful, Martha and I, to be part of this wonderful family. And I don't even get paid to do that, to say it, or even to be here. I, we choose to come here. And I know you do too. This is an amazing church that's filled not only with people that are loved by God, but people who show that love in so many ways. And so we are thankful that um, as former staff members, we can continue to come and to be part of this wonderful fellowship. It's kind of odd that three generations, or probably more generations than that, of worship pastors can be in the same place. Right, John? John, then I followed John, and then Steve followed me, and we can all be in the same lane for the same purpose and not fight. It's pretty kind of cool. And so... <laughs> And John taught me how to do that with Steve. And for that, I am eternally grateful, my friend. Well, last week, as you know, Pastor Dave started with the Book of Romans. And it was an exciting message. Dave, I love Dave's preaching. And it was so exciting. He was sharing all about what? You know, this is really um, sad. <laughs> Since Tuesday, I've been spending a lot of hours on this sermon, and to think that next week you'll have no idea what I talked about. <laughs> Let's just kind of close it up. No, he talked about the... Thank you. Choir's always there in <laughs> my back. Um, yes, they talked about the good news. And he ended the passage with the reading of uh, verses 16 and 17 that says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. For just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen. And what a blessing that is. What great news. What good news. And then on Tuesday, Dave called me and kind of passed the baton. And he said, hey, would you like to preach Sunday? And just that morning, I was asking the Lord, what do you want me to do with my week? And so I received that baton. And I get to start with this. The wrath of God <laughs> is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what we may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So you, you're without excuse. You, you're without excuse. You, you're without excuse. Those of you online, just because you're sitting in your chair drinking coffee all by yourself, you're without excuse. Those in dwell, those in the gathering place, you are without excuse. I'm without excuse. Good news. God bless you. <laughs> now we need to return to the garden. Because it was in the garden that Adam and Eve were created in perfect holiness, in perfect being, enjoying their father, their heavenly father. They were created in perfection and they enjoyed the creation that God revealed. It was a beautiful place of beauty, tranquility and love. And it says that they were unafraid being there. But then Satan demonstrated by the serpent tested them. And he tested them the way he always does, which says in 1 John 2, 16, is why the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. For the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, the lust of the flesh, look at the fruit that you were told not to eat. It's just food. Then the lust of the eye, the serpent said, isn't this fruit beautiful than the boastful pride of life. If you eat the fruit, and I know God said not to, but if you eat it, you'll just be wise. Doesn't sound bad. So they took and they took the fruit. And by the way, that's how Satan still tempts us today. He tempted Jesus in the same way when after his fasting for 40 days and 40 nights up on a mountain, Jesus came face to face with Satan. And it was the lust of the flesh. Because Satan said to Jesus, make this rock into bread. That's unfair. I've just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and now you're saying to make this rock bread? Jesus said, no, you're not going to tempt me with that. So Satan took him to a high mountain. And he said, I will let you see the entire kingdom. And if you bow down, you'll be able to enjoy everything that you can see. And then finally, the boastful pride of life. He said, throw yourself off this mountain. I'm sure God will save you. And as he tempted Adam and Eve, he tempted Jesus, and he tempts us. The lust of the flesh. Creature comforts that go astray. The lust of the eyes. Wow, look at that new car, that house, that job, that person, and the pride of life. Life is all about me. Well, they ate the fruit, and you know what happened. Boom. 
Verse 21 of chapter 1 continues. For although they, Adam and Eve, knew God and everyone since then, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, and the issue is Romans 3.23 says, as a result of that fall of Adam and Eve, all of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And did you notice the result? Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Satan lied to them. Satan lied to Jesus, and he uses lying today in our lives. He's the thief. He's the killer. He's the destroyer. He's the liar. And as a result, it says they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Hmm. And this has been the battle since the fall. From what we know about Lucifer, Satan, apparently he was the leader as the angel. He was the leader of worship in the heavenlies. But as he was worshiping the eternal father, the creator, he wanted to be the eternal father and the creator. And as a result, he was tossed out of heaven. And so the battle has always been worship. Who do you worship? Here it's demonstrated, do you worship and serve created things rather than the creator? And it's demonstrated through the choices that we make every day. Whom do we choose to follow? Whom do we choose to serve? Ourselves, these created beings, or God, the creator? It's demonstrated in our relationships. It's demonstrated in our choices. It's demonstrated with my relationship with my wife, Martha. Tonight, I get to watch my eagles (laughs) play the Kansas City chefs. And I will sit in my chair at 629 with my choice of snack and beverage, which is water these days. (laughs) And I will sit down. And Martha has gotten over the sportsaholic problem that I have. And at 629, if she were to come in and say, Gary, 
I have something I'd like to talk to you about. <laughs> and then I thought that we could watch a movie together. Now, you have to realize I was raised in Philly. That's a whole different fandom of people than you can imagine. Okay, so now I have a choice. Do I serve the creator through serving my wife? Or do I serve the creature, me? What should I do? That's not rhetorical. I want you to give me some, what should I do? Yeah, you have lots of issues, but yeah, I should get up and I should serve the creature by serving my wife. But the battle, I guess I could say, hey, about those needs that you have, how about four hours from now? Because you still have those. Mm -mm. Nope. Nope. Who am I going to give my life to is really what it comes down to. For worship is defined in the scriptures like this. Like, what is it? What is this with worship? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. So worship is offering my body, offering my life constantly to something. And we have a choice to the creator or to ourselves, our creature. So to worship God, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. And this is true worship. Oh, by the way. Martha is in New York this weekend visiting her parents. <laughs> so this could never happen. Um, and it's easy to give examples that will never happen, you know. But knowing some of you, you're going to call me at 629 or text me and say, I have a need. Can you talk about it? And I'm going to say, call your pastor. <laughs> no, I won't say that. If you have a need... Actually, my phone's off. <clears throat> but really, don't you feel that battle every day? To worship what the Lord says this about the temptation, and the temptation says this. Happens in relationships, in habits, the use of our time, even in our actual worship services. Worship is never for us, the creature. It's for God, the creator, we may have preferences in the arts, and that's okay. But to share as if worship is to please the creature is at best wrong, and at worst, idolatry. We have preferences about everything. Hudsonville ice cream flavors. The best one is seaside caramel. Right, exactly. Or we have... We have our uh, thoughts and opinions about music styles and clothes and how wrong it would be for you to go to Steve and say, I didn't like the music that you chose today. And he might say to you, well, I don't like your clothes. <laughs> yeah, he would never say that. I would have. Um, <laughs> and John would have never done that either. So, But there's a sense that just because we have preferences, it's not about that. It's about God. 
There's an organist, and some of you remember this story maybe, there was an organist choir director in Philadelphia when I would live there, that a woman came up to him after service and said, Dr. Elmore, I didn't like the choir anthem today. And he said, Madam, it wasn't for you. <laughs> so what is our role? Our role is to be stimulated by what happens up here through the arts. And it's a choice that we make, not saying, did I? No, it stimulates me to worship the cre creator, God. So it happens in our worship. Well, back to the book of Romans, verse 26. Because as a result of our choices to worship the creature or serve the creature and fall for Satan's temptation, verse 26 says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Whew, what a list. And did you notice the phrase all throughout there, God gave them over. God gave you and me over. God gives those who follow and make choices that revolve around the creature. He gives us over. Verse 24, he says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart. Verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind. And as a result of sin, we become weaker. As a result of choosing our ways over God's ways, and it's sometimes just in the little things. We get the nudge of the Holy Spirit to do something, but it's really going to take us away from something we kind of want to do. As a result of that, he gives us over, which means releasing or making it easier for us to sin in our hearts, in our physical sins of lust, and to a depraved mind. So as I choose sin, it makes it easier for me to spin out of control. We know this. Creature comforts are great, and God has given to us to bless us. But when we choose those over God's direction, we sin. You know what? It gets easier to sin the next time. 
We lust once, it's not satisfying, and so we expand. We gossip once, that became easy, and becomes easier the next time. That whole list in verses 28 through the end, through verse 32, it's not just an action, but God then releases us. And I look at that list, and I might lie, and it got me through something, and I think, huh, it works. And we are left to do that further. Well, I look at that list, and I think, yeah, there's some of those areas that, yeah, um, need to work on, but I'm much better than a lot of people sitting in here. <laughs> you know, I know, I know a lot about some of them. I was here 16 years, jeez. I'm pretty good. Hey, I am pretty good. They aren't. There's something wrong with them. Just when I think I'm pretty good, you read on in chapter 2, verse 2. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. Oh, nuts. So not only am I without excuse because I do these things, but now I'm without excuse because I judge those who do. So you will pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same thing, do you think you will escape God's judgment? You know, I might not be caught in these bad sins, but do I judge those who are? We judge by our thoughts. I can't believe they would do that. Our words, both spoken and written on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. No, seriously, do we get it? Like, like this week in preparation for this, the other night I decided to look at cable news. And I thought, oh my goodness. Cable news is built on the end of Romans 1. Gossip, slander, political, making fun of. And when he was like, wow. And so I judged it. And then all of a sudden I felt like, huh, I just judged like verse 2 says. So I'm just as guilty as what I'm watching. It's tough. Chapter 2 goes on to say things like, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. For there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For we know that Romans was, was a book that was written predominantly to Gentiles but also the Jews that lived in Rome and to each of us. So just taking a pulse, how do you feel? Glad you came this morning? I am. <laughs>
Because unless we know the depth of our sin, we'll never know the height of God's love. Unless we know the depths of who we are, we'll never be able to stand up and sing, and can it be? Oh, amazing love. How can it be? How deep the Father's love for me. How marvelous. How wonderful. So if after last week's sermon, you didn't run out of here jumping up and down and saying, thank God. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The great news of the gospel that sets us free. It goes on in verse 9. I didn't read the whole thing of verse 9, but it says, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile and for all of us. For not doing good. This is not doing good like salvation by works. Of course not. But doing good by embracing the gospel every day. God, I am burdened. God, I am broken. God, I'm a mess. And I can't break this habit. I can't stop gossiping. I can't stop even judging. And he says, come to me. One of the choir members was so moved by the anthem to come, she shared this picture. It's Jesus holding out his scarred hand so that we can grab it. And he says, come to me and come with me. Follow me. Follow me. God, even in the midst of my sin, you are so kind to me. Why? Why are you so kind? Chapter 2, verse 4. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. To lead me to repentance. He is so kind, so loving, so filled with mercy. That was Charles Wesley. Over these 2,000 years, people who have placed their faith in Jesus have been overwhelmed by the sense of the good news of Jesus. And Charles Wesley, hundreds of years ago, in reflecting on God's kindness, grace, and mercy, he wrote this. Depth of mercy. Can there be mercy still reserved for me? Can my God his wrath forbear? Me, the chief of sinners, spare? Notice those questions. And you might be here this morning thinking, wow, it's, it's wonderful to know that there are others filled in this same problem and same issues. But is there hope for me? And was there hope for Charles Wesley here in this verse? Verse. Can my God his wrath forbear me, the chief of sinners spare? And then the next verse. 
there for me. The Savior stands, holding forth his wounded hands. For God is love, I know, I feel. Jesus weeps, but loves me still.